Welcome to the putback. I'm Ian Begley, SNY's NBA insider. I have two great guests. We've got Steve Popper, longtime beat writer from Newsday. He's been covering the Knicks for a while. You know him already, and you probably already know. Jonathan Macri, Knicks Film School. Uh, he and the crew do a great job over there. Newsletter, podcast, YouTube. You got to subscribe if you are not already subscribed. But, gentlemen, let's get right into it because the Knicks last night beat the Spurs, slowed down Victor Wimbignana in a big way. Mitchell Robinson was in the middle of all of that. Steve, what have you seen from Robinson so far this year? What is he doing to take this next leap? I think just what you say about next leap, it's continued development. It's just every year he seems to get a little bit sharper. Um, you know, we remember early in his career, he was, you know, he was already a defensive force, but he was chasing every block. He's become a much uh, smarter defender, I think. He's, he's not among the league leaders in block shots this year. Uh, dominating offensive rebound, you know, any, the numbers aren't quite there, but, but defensive rebounding too. And I, I think what you see is deflections and deterrence. I, I think he's become a force that, that guys don't want to go in against. And, and you can see the one time early in the game yesterday when Wembenyama faced him up one-on-one uh, -on -one, about 10 feet out on the left side. Uh, just Mitch didn't blink, didn't, didn't, you know, nothing, nothing phased him. And he threw up an air ball from 10 feet. Um, I, I think it's just an impressive sort of uh, anchor to the defense this year. And look, they're, I think, number two in the league in defensive rating this year. Um, and, and he's the biggest part of it, I think. Uh, Jonathan, in honor of Mitch, I'm going to put up a shot clock for this answer. But can you talk <laughs> a little bit about, you know, over the last five years, you've been watching him closely. How have you seen him develop over the last five years? And, and for you, what's most surprising right now? Consistency. Uh, consistency, quarter to quarter, uh, half to half, game to game, week to week. I mean, the talent was evident from, I mean, what was it? Like his 10th NBA game or something where he went out and had like eight or nine blocks against the Magic. Like we always knew that there was a ceiling there that if he was able to tap into everything, um, and just again bring it consistently on a regular basis um, that he could get to. But because of you know, as we were kind of joking about before we started filming, um, he's kind of a quirky guy. He has an interesting personality. You didn't know if he was ever going to be able to tap into those talents on a regular basis. And now he's arguably, I, not even arguably, he has been the most consistent Nick. Um, I think through eight games. Teams do not want to go down low against him. And because he creates something of a force field around the rim, it, it allows their perimeter defenders. Uh, I, I'll finish up my last sentence. It allows their perimeter defenders to really have a little bit more leeway out around the arc, guarding perimeter guys, you know, behind behind the line and everything. So it, it's it. He makes their whole team go. There's no doubt. And, you know, I think for a long time now, We've talked about player development with the Knicks, whether it was predating uh, Steve Mills and Phil Jackson. It was maybe Glenn Grunwald. They got some young guys. They were talking about player development. It's been such a buzzword in the NBA for obvious reasons. But now we're looking at this Knicks team, and we're talking about Mitchell Robinson. We're talking about R.J. Barrett. We're talking about Emmanuel Quickly, Quinton Grimes. I mean, is it fair to say, based on what we've seen, that this group has done a pretty good job developing their young talent? Yeah, I, I think so. I think when you look at, at this season, uh, this summer, what the plan was, was run it back. Uh, Dante DiVincenzo, the only big addition. But I, I think that's what the buzz. Look, look, everybody talks about trading R.J. Barrett, 
you know, for years he's been the kind of guy that you, you, you know, you offer up in a deal and maybe last summer they almost did go, you know, pull the, pull the trigger on that. To me, you got a 23 year old guy who already, you know, has averaged 20 points a game is a solid defender, not a great defender, but a solid defender. And, and most of all, you know what you have in him as a guy who every day, good days, bad days, never gets too high, never gets too low. Um, in New York, that, there's something to be said for that. I think there's a lot of guys that can't handle it. R.J. Barrett is like the blueprint for a guy who can handle New York. And, and, and I think um, we've seen him grow. We've seen Mitchell Robinson stop kind of being – uh, you know, a guy who thinks he's going to be a three-point shooter in the league or, or you know, um, you know, kind of be a, an offensive creator. He's kind of, you know, finally bought into what Thibodeau wants him to do every play offensively, you know, running running to the rim, drawing defenders, um, offensive rebounding, the defense, you know, being a, just a solid guy instead of a spectacular uh, shot blocker. I, I, I think I, you, you can point to Thibodeau and, and just say, you know, people talk about him with, you know, young players. I think he's gotten gotten a lot out of these guys, and you know Grimes is the one we'd like to see more opportunity. But it's hard when you you're playing in a lineup with Jalen, Julius, and RJ. Yeah, I mean, when's when's the last time this organization drafted players in three consecutive drafts and actually did trade one or more of them before they actually had a chance to reach something close to their full potential? I mean, I don't. I, I think before my time here on this earth um, and, you know, quickly year four Barrett, year five, Mitchell Robinson, year six, um, the improvement arc has not been the same for all of them. I, I think quickly kind of came in as a guy who, you know, contributed to winning basketball right away and has kind of taken incremental steps each step of the way. Mitch kind of, you know, similar. Um, but for him, it was more ups and downs and RJ, you know, and Steve just alluded to it and like, yeah, they, you know, they maybe came close to trading him a year ago. A lot of people called for them to trade him, including me. Um, cause I was really disappointed. I just didn't really feel like the production was there for a, a former number three overall pick. And yet now he's, I, I don't know if you want to call it making the leap, but what we're seeing from him uh, it, it, it does, and I know we're going to get into this later. I think it does change the trajectory a little bit. I think the front office deserves credit. I think the the coaching staff deserves credit. They have three top 100 NBA players that you know. If you told me any of those three was going to some at some point move into the top 50, top you know 30, 40 in the case of maybe RJ uh, or even quickly, I wouldn't be surprised. Like that's a really good place for an organization to be. It's a healthy place for an organization to be. It's how you're supposed to do it. And then you supplement those, those moves with other things. You know, just sticking with RJ right now, you guys mentioned uh, previous summer, Donovan Mitchell. I mean, there were people, uh, you know, there were people in there in the front office, I don't know, decision makers, not decision makers that were very, very keen on, on moving RJ for Donovan Mitchell. And so it's just, it's, it's so interesting how so many things have to fall into place perfectly for a team to have success you know you move him and who knows what you're losing you bring in Donovan Mitchell who knows how that goes um but I I do think too like the idea that he approaches his craft in, in such a mature way and Steve you touched on you know guy just being able to handle New York he, he gets it he I think his parents actually started working with him early on on like how to talk to the media how to do a press conference and he's so polished with us 
I mean, Steve and I have tried for five years now to get him to say something interesting, and he's he's not doing it. He's he's not taking the bait, and and to his credit, he is good, and he's actually wanted to do uh, the media. Uh, he wanted to be the guy doing media for the Knicks after games. Nobody wants to do that, but he wanted to do it, and I think he he takes that on as a, a responsibility for one of the faces of this franchise. So even things off the court like that, I think RJ brings a lot of value maybe in, in areas that we don't see every day. Yeah, you think, like, I mean, look, Ian, we've both been along, around long enough with the Knicks, the chaos rules for decades here. Mm-hmm. And, and, and when you look at stuff happening, you know, people talk about, you know, trade for this star, trade for that star. You look at guys like, Harden, look at the Damian Lillard situation. You you haven't had that with the Knicks, um, and there are guys who could want more playing time, who could want you know better opportunity. Nobody says the wrong thing around here, um, which is which is a, a real change from what, what it's been for decades. You know, and try as we might, maybe to create a story. You know, I, I, I tell the Knicks this all the time that the dumbest thing they ever did was not having the uh, you know the, the press conference for Jalen Brunson. Because Jalen Brunson, I, I'd rather put him up there than a presidential candidate. He never says the wrong thing. Um, you know, maybe maybe Josh Hart, you know, in, in his joking manner does. But it's, you know, they're a team that is sort of taken what Thibodeau teaches. And they're boring almost, but in a good way. And, and I think that's that's such a change that, that kind of gets unnoticed here in New York. I want to say too that Steve, when Steve says say the wrong thing, what he's really saying is be authentic and say something interesting and provide some insight. <laughs> Sometimes we'll get that from some guys, but usually yeah. they stick to the script, uh, just trying to get better every day, focused on the next game, daily improvement, and, and that's what you get. Yeah, yeah, de- definitely. You you definitely hear you can hear echoes of Thibodeau in many of the comments. The you know we're only focused on the next game and. Our next opponent is the one that only matters. It doesn't matter. We're not looking at the playoffs. We don't care about expectations outside, all that. I hate to belabor this. John, I'm coming to you right now. But I want to say that Tibbs is so good that we could ask him about something that you know might be <laughs> controversial, like injury update or a player getting into it with a coach, whatever. And he will listen to the question. It looks like he's going to answer your question. But he pivots immediately into a totally different subject, talking about defensive rating, talking about turnovers, talking about rebounding. Yeah. It's amazing. It is a strong skill, and, and he has perfected it. Uh, but, all right, enough enough inside media talk. John, I want to know from you, do you think – you touched on it a little bit earlier. Do you think this changes the Knicks' trajectory if RJ sustains – he's not going to sustain this shooting yeah. clip. Is around where he is shooting – is passing the ball the way he's passing the ball and doing what he's done so far these first eight games. Yeah, I mean, you just said it. The shooting's going to come down. I think I forget what the number is now. I think he's shooting like 47% from three or something absurd. That'll come down. At the same time, he's actually shooting uh, worse from two-point range right now than he was last season. Um, but the areas that you care about around the rim and floater range, both of those are pretty strong. It's just he hasn't hit anything outside of 10 feet inside the arc. So... Uh, you figure all that'll stabilize uh, the overall efficiency where it's at right now, um, and that I'm including free throw shooting in that because that's something that has been a little bit of a bugaboo now, for, you know for four years. He's hitting his free throws. Uh, if the efficiency stays where it is, and we're just getting, and again, none of this is revolutionary, right? Because like we've seen him make good passes before, we've seen him make good decisions, we've we've seen him defend before, we've seen him do all these things in little little bits. 
He's putting it all together now. For me, it's the decision making that that's most important, and it relates to what your question is: like, how does it change the trajectory? If you have a guy out there that you know, no matter who you put him on the floor with, whether it's you know one other superstar or another or two other stars or whatever the case may be, and he's just going to consistently make the right play, which is all he's done this year. So he just made the right play. Um, that's a guy you could rely on, provided that they can knock down open shots behind the arc. That's what you know. We tend to get so deep into this stuff and make it so complicated. At the end of the day, if you're a perimeter player in the league. You got to knock down open threes. He's doing that. So that is important. But all the other stuff together, um, it makes RJ easier to envision as a fit in a lot of different combinations as, you know, the, the prototypical big wing that that we've always wanted him to be. Yeah, I, I, think, I think two things. One thing you mentioned, Ian, was the passing. Um, kind of they were shooting so bad the first whatever six, seven games of the year. That, that we almost forget that they were moving the ball really well. RJ has been seeing guys in a way that he hasn't maybe before. Um, and, and I think it's a continuation of confidence in the playoffs from FIBA World Cup. Um, Julius is making the right pass in a lot of circumstances. Um, and just they weren't hitting shots. So, so things looked worse than they maybe were. Uh, I, I think they're playing the right way. And, and one more thing on, on RJ, we talk about his fit in that starting lineup. Uh, you look at like a game like the Clipper game, that fourth quarter, when he's with that second unit and he's sort of one of the main offensive options with quickly, but he's running the floor and, and uh, Dante and, and Hart, you know, are just in every passing lane. Uh, it just seems like uh, he hits a whole nother level in that, in that you can kind of see where he could be, you know, whatever, a 25 point a game score. If he was playing that kind of game, that kind of lineup uh, more often. Yeah, no doubt. And now we're going to hit, my buddy Matt Spenley, you probably know him from the Knicks wall. We we poached him. We're lucky to have him here at SNY, and he's got a fan question for us. Matt, what's up? All right, we got a fan question, but first I got a comment uh, from Frizzy on YouTube. says, Ian looks like he's about to write a script at a coffee shop. Talking about your look today. <laughs> Ian, you have any thoughts on that for Frizzy? Yeah, tough morning. Tough morning this morning. Uh, Technology-wise, uh, emotional, from an emotional standpoint, it's been a little rocky, so. This is That's why get. we love the putback. We get to we get a little behind the scenes for me, and we love it. Um, very right. similar, very similar thought I had, but I thought it was more like working on his resume. <laughs> Listen, we'll take all ideas. All ideas are welcome. Um, all right, uh, we have a comment that is asking about Quentin Grimes from Triple M. Has he got off to a disappointing start? Uh, I mean, shooting thirty six percent from three. I think Grimes a lot of times, if he's making shots, it feels like he's playing great. If he's not, it feels like he isn't. But I know that there had been a lot of expectations from the fan base. I think that he might have more responsibility within the offense. So, John, what do you think about Grimes in the first uh, eight or so games here? Uh, you just said that the number that I was going to bring up. He's thir- shooting thirty six percent from three. He's taking five and a half attempts a game. He's playing about twenty five minutes. He's a guy. It, it, it's it's interesting to me because I, I look I get it the usage is what it is, but his he's one of the few players on the Knicks that can bring an immense amount of value even if they never touch the ball. So just him being out there with the other three ball dominant starters has value. Him being an outlet, him being a guy who's going to have a quick trigger. The only times I get bothered with Grimes is where he gets the ball and he has a shot, he has a look, and he doesn't take it. Um, but even that, I think it's all part of the process. We've seen him be a little bit more creative with the ball and a few opportunities this year that have been impressive. Um, look, that sort of player archetype to me 
you if your coaching staff isn't specifically game planning to get them more looks, it's just kind of going to be a flow of the offense thing where one night he'll get 10 threes like he did against Milwaukee and another night like last night, you know, against the Spurs, he'll get four. Um, he also only played 19 minutes, but that's part of the roster construction. It's like who are you taking minutes from? I mean, I know these guys have been talking about it all summer. The Knicks have a lot of talent and and Grimes is good, but so is, you know, Josh Harden, DiVincenzo and obviously quickly and RJ. So um, it's a tough spot for a young player to be in. You know, maybe it speaks to the fact that there's another move down the line that they could make. But I, I, for right now, am I worried? No, I'm not. I'm not worried. To speak to Grimes and just increasing the offense a little bit. I mean, I think in years past when he has handled the ball, you know, people with the team don't didn't want him doing that. They got on him about handling the ball. So it's in, in the past it's kind of been damned if you do, damned if you don't. And when you're sharing a starting lineup with R.J. Barrett, Jalen Brunson, Julius Randle, you're just not going to see the ball a lot. So I think if you want to give Quentin Grimes more shots, more usage, you put him in that second unit where uh, he can get the ball, he can make plays off the dribble more organically. And if you don't, if you're content with where he is right now, you keep him in the starting lineup and he'll hit shots. I think he's going to hit more shots uh, over the course of the season. He's proved that. Um, over a short career and he'll defend. So he'll give you that. It's just a matter of what you want from Quentin Grimes. I think I think that he can give you more than he's showing right now just based on, you know, talking to him, talking to people around him. I think there's more there. Maybe the Knicks don't need it, though, given this roster construction, but just something to keep an eye on. Steve, where are you on Quentin? Yeah, I agree with you. And I think, look, part of it is we don't notice it because it's almost like when you don't notice an umpire or a referee, because you're doing the right thing. He he takes on every game the best perimeter offensive threat. And he does it silently, and he's really good at it. Uh, so he's got he's filling a huge role already. And look, we, we saw, I, I forget, I think it was the game in Boston in the preseason. You know, if those guys aren't there, if, if he's with the second unit, I think that game he put up about 12 three-pointers. Uh, he is a dangerous offensive player. Uh, but he just, it's not the time right now where they need him to be that there are going to be nights. And I I think I don't even worry about the percentage because when you're, you know, taking three, four shots a game, it's just not conducive to being a good shooter. Uh, I think, I think he's got to get more opportunities and I think they will as they go along. And look, at some point in the year, there's going to be an injury. There's going to be a change in the rotation. Something's going to happen. It always does. Um, I, I think there are a lot of guys giving up right now sort of what what their ideal role is and you know we, we worried about how it would fit i think it fits really well and whoever's got the hot hand or whoever's defending well whoever's the best matchup that's who thibodeau's Great. going with down the stretch there's been a lot of days where it's dante uh is finishing games um and he's been tremendous you know defensively uh it's just another option for them and i, I think quentin again you know he, he's young and he's doing what he's supposed to do yeah. yeah, it's interesting because these guys are human, right? So yeah. if everyone can stay bought in and if guys like that triumvirate of Josh Hart, Dante DiVincenzo, Quentin Grimes, if they could just not care about minutes and finishing games as long as the team is winning, you know, that will lead to success. But to me, that's easier said than done. Like, I, I think it's just human nature to want to do more, to want to prove yourself more. Uh, I think it's particularly – in DiVincenzo's situation, signing as a free agent, and then Grimes' situation with the extension coming up. So it's just the team dynamic. You're dealing with human beings. But I do think 
uh, what you've seen from those three throughout their history is they will be bought in. You're not going to hear grumbling about minutes as long as things are going well. Uh, yeah, and that, I think what you I think what you just mentioned on the extension is, yeah. you know, I, I don't think that's a problem for him because I think Thibodeau loves him. I, I think that's quickly is the kind of guy who doesn't seem to be bothered by it. But that is is a consideration that those guys are playing for contracts quickly and grimes. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, quick promo to break things up. We are now um, a podcast. We're on podcast form. So if you don't catch us on video, you can get us on podcast. You can get that uh, wherever you download your podcast, the put back now podcast form. If you don't want to see this on your screen, you can just go podcast. It's a lot easier. Uh, Jonathan, Jalen Brunson, eight games, Knicks are four and four. He's done what he's done. What are you seeing from him? Uh, Probably the most surprising thing of the season to me is Brunson, like, just, I mean, his overall efficiency is, is not terrible, but that's because he's hitting, again, absurd numbers from three. He hit, I think, five of eight last night. He obviously had eight of 12, I think, in the Atlanta game. He's had some other nice shooting games from three. He's shooting under 40% from two-point range right now. I think I checked that earlier today. Um, which is like not something I thought that Jalen Brunson was capable of doing. And it's weird because coming off of FIBA, I think there were maybe a couple different mindsets. Some people thought, all right, Jalen Brunson is going to come in and hit the ground running because he doesn't need to ramp up. And then there maybe now is another mindset that like, oh, well, you know, what if he's a little tired? I don't, I don't know what it is. Early in the season, I thought maybe he was making a, a little bit too much of an effort to get other guys involved and couldn't quite handle the, the, the pass shoot balance you know trying to do too much maybe so to speak the last several games i feel like he's getting to his spots he's he's looks assertive the shots just maybe aren't going down i i'll he'll, he's, he'll be fine he's jalen brunson i have zero doubt uh, about that you know he's going to be okay um but it's it's been a little odd to see him missing a bunch of shots this year that he, he made pretty consistently last season just to speak to the conditioning quickly, Steve, it was strange, I thought, with the preseason, the way the Knicks approached it. I get what they were trying to do, ramp him up two big minutes and not throw him out there for 25-plus minutes for every preseason game. It's almost like the NFL starting quarterback not playing a lot in the preseason. But I think that that kind of threw Jalen off, just my guess, my observation, because you put him out there for that last preseason game against Washington, and I thought he looked gassed at some points in those games. So I, his level of uh, conditioning, his level of being able to get up and down the floor, I don't think was where the Knicks and he would have wanted it to be going into game one of the regular season. Yeah, I mean, just a side point to that is him and Josh Hart were kind of treated that way. And R.J. Barrett, who we talked about the workload that he takes and the work that he's willing to put in, he played with Team Canada in, in FIBA and just uh, – never seemed to get a, you know, want a break or, you know, he played big minutes, you know, the three games that he played. So it's, it's kind of strange. But anyway, I, I agree with you guys. I don't, I don't worry about Jalen at all. The one concern, I guess, is we tried to, uh, you know, Stefan Bondi was trying to pry on it last, yesterday in 10 different ways, and he never will admit it. But he had – there's something with his hand. Uh, he's, he's got it taped up, and he, he just said he tripped and fell and re-aggravated it, but he won't say what it is won't say what the injury is, won't say, you know, just said, I'll be fine next game over and over again, which is what he always says. Uh, and he'll play through it. Uh, is it something that's deterring him a little bit? Maybe. I, I, I don't know. But, but again, I, I don't worry about him. 
I, I think that that low shooting percentage around the rim is going to change. He's hitting threes. Um, he's you know he's getting guys involved. I I think he's going to be fine. Yeah, agreed. And on the injury front, he he's like Derek Jeter. Like he's just never going to tell you if he's hurt. Yeah. He says the right thing for Met fans like David Wright. Just the messaging is always good, as we said earlier. But let's move over to. Uh, we're going from number 11 to number 30, Julius Randle, a player that uh, it's been a topic of discussion. He's always a topic of discussion. Win, lose, or draw. Uh, struggled with his shot early on. Last two games, to me, it's been a different story. Uh, John, are you concerned about Julius's shooting? Where are you after the first six games? Kind of where are you on him? Uh, to me, you know, in, in a kind of a different way than, like Steve just said, Jalen Brunson's like Jalen Brunson. Like, Julius is Julius. Like, he, I think we've seen enough of him. He's in this is year 10 now for him, I think, in his career. He's going to have ups. He's going to have downs. And the downs are going to be rough. And they're often going to come not with just, you know, missed shots, but, you know, questionable effort things occasionally and and seemingly getting in his own head when it comes to you know passing versus shooting versus stopping and complaining to the ref it's part of the package you hope to minimize it as most as much much as possible um all that being said last two games extremely encouraging um i think he's getting downhill more i think he's making quicker decisions um i love that they are uh, and you know dj zulo and benji uh, ridholtz here at kfs have been pointing this out a lot getting him and Mitch involved in big, big pick and rolls because the biggest impediment that Julius has to being an efficient offensive player around the rim with the Knicks is they don't employ a stretch five. So how do you handle that? Well, get the big man upsetting the pick and have both of those guys rolling downhill. So then you either get Julius with a good look or give Julius a lob attempt, which you've seen him lob it to Mitch, or worst case scenario, Julius misses someone's there to clean up his his miss and, and put it back. So I like that stuff, but ultimately it comes down to Julius, again, making good decisions, quick decisions, and I think he's he's been doing that um, certainly more over the last few games. Yeah, I'm with you, and I, I like how you snuck that promo in. Uh, I, I love listening to Benji and DJ uh, break the game down. It's, fun, it's a fun <laughs> lesson. you got to check that out uh, if you haven't already, uh, Nick's Film School. So, Steve, Julius, you've been around him so much for since he's come to New York. Where, where are you at? Like, do you, did you, do you think he's struggling? Cause the first six games, you think he's even out? Where are you? I, I, again, I don't, there's another guy I don't worry about, you know, I think he's going to have his numbers at the end of the year. Um, you know, he had a different kind of uh, off season because of the injury, the surgery um, guys, you know, it's sort of what RJ went through last summer uh, where they don't do the work they normally do. Um, maybe, maybe not shooting, not on the court enough. Uh, I think that'll come. The, the one gripe I'd have with him again is, uh, I think Jonathan mentioned it, you know, when you, Thibodeau likes to say, when, you, when you're not scoring, when you're not shooting, you can, you can help in other ways. And sometimes you see the shoulders slump and yeah. the, the defensive effort is, is just not there and, and you wish it would get called out or yanked out of a game. Um, I, I, I wrote a column the other day and said, you know, his, he's carrying around that Be Like Water book, Bruce Lee. Might, might be time for, for, for a different book, um, something a little more more intense. Um, I, I, I just think, you know, that that's what you need is, is the hard-nosed Julius. And you've been getting it offensively. You've been getting it rebounding. You just want to see it defensively. That, that I think, is the next big step that would make this team, you know, what can elevate them. That, I think, could elevate them because he has the skill to do it. 
for for what that guy's been through from the fan base from 2019 to now i mean i think he's pretty mentally tough for him to still be here i would be cowering in uh (laughs) coney island somewhere like under a box i wouldn't be able to deal with it mentally he's handled it um you know it's it's come out in some bad ways sometimes but i give him credit for staying sticking with it and being who he is and doing what he's doing faults uh faults included Uh, so Guys, I want to go to Matt Spenley again because I think he has a few questions. Here I come. I do have a fan question. My fan question is for Steve specifically. Uh, it's from our guy, David Feternick on YouTube. He says, first time, long time. My question is for Steve. You have to pick one Nick's beat writer, past or present, to live on a desert island with. Who do you pick? I'll hang up and listen. I, I know who he wants, but I'm not giving it to him. Uh, <laughs> I'm going I'm to go, go with Ian. He's here, um, and, and and I, I know there would be food around. Uh, he, he, he's pretty mellow. I know he'd mostly be sleeping under a tree somewhere, but I, I think we could make it work. <laughs> Good pick. No, on his own? I think that's, he, what, that's what, what I knew that's what he wants. He, that was his first he one he listed, actually. He said I, Anazone, Berman, Begley. Those were his three ones that he listed as the main options. Definitely not Berman. I'm, I'm happy to be a couple thousand <laughs> miles away from him. How long would you last with Berman before you, you give it a chance with the Sharks instead? <laughs> would, would, would it be that I have the Sharks or that I send him to the Sharks? <laughs> that's great. Uh, Berman, we love you. Uh, I would split a room with you for a couple of days. That's for sure. Uh, and and, and Futter Nick, we love too. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Shout out to Futter. I, I have had a beer. I have had a beer with him in LA. Oh, nice. I got. I'm jealous. I saw him in Vegas actually once. I'd like to hang with him again. Um, great, great, yeah. great actor. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, anyhow, we we talked about the young guys, the player development, and how they're playing well. The flip side of that coin is. They're also increasing their trade value. I know, you know, Nick fans, some Nick fans are probably sick of the trade stuff, talking about this big trade that should should happen. I think it's going to happen. You heard ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski uh, last night kind of saying what we've been saying for a while now. They're well positioned, right, to get involved in a, in a trade for a big star player. They tried on Donovan Mitchell. It didn't work out for whatever reason they'll be in on the next guy, depending on who it is and what the fit is. So that's just a reality of where this team is. The The idea of trading one of RJ or Mitchell Robinson or Emmanuel Quickly or Quentin Grimes, John, like how does that sit with you in terms of where this team is and where you think it could go, this iteration? Uh, I mean, it's a $64,000 question, right? Um... You know, NBA NBA history is what it is, and NBA history says you need one of those guys, you know, to to win to win it all, or to to really say that you're you're in it. And uh, I mean, with look, obviously, some few exceptions, and I can't tell you how many times that I will get you know subscribers or or readers you know reach out to me and be like, why can't this iteration become you know its own version of the 2004 Pistons? It's always the the one people go to the, who didn't have a quote unquote superstar player. Well, they had a lot of Hall of Famers uh, on their team and a lot of like All Star caliber players. So you know, but that's the exception and not the rule. I think you nailed it, Ian, when you just said it, it really is going to come down to to fit um, with like what what star is it? But at the same time, like you guys know how the NBA works. You don't 
when you've taken the path that Leon Rose has, has taken and you're kind of banking on that star trade, you don't get to pick and choose. You know, the, the, the trade presents itself and it's either, okay, we're willing to pony up or we're not. Um, I, I don't see a way that they, you know, make that eventually trade, make that eventual trade if it comes to their doorstep without giving up, you know, at least one of the players you mentioned and in all likelihood, multiple ones. So it's, I'll just say it's a tough, it's a tough question. And I'll, I'll punt it back to you guys. Cause I don't, I don't have a great answer right now. It, it, the vibes feel great right now, but you know, is that, is that what your ceiling outcome is? You know? Yeah. I'm going to cut in uh, just to ask you guys your final thoughts and I'll offer mine. My question to you guys on the final thoughts is as we get to December 15th, where do you see this team? Is it the team that you saw for the first uh, six games where it was up and down, or is it the team you saw the last two games? Where do you think the group will shake out uh, as you get to the middle of December when the trade season really picks up? I, I think they're going to be fine. I think it's like last year. I think I, I think I predicted them for the same number of wins as last year. And, and I think some of the early stuff we saw offensively is going to fix itself. Um, but I do think that, they, look, I'm not going to pretend that I understand the CBA because I wouldn't be on talking to you, Ian. If I if I did, I'd be <laughs> I, I'd have some much higher job in the in the NBA. Um, but but I do know that you know. Look, if you want to make one of these deals, uh, the salary cap, you know, crazy deals, you got to make it really probably mid-season this year. I think they have chips in place that they want to use. You know, Evan Fournier, you know, <laughs> bless him, is sitting on the bench just as a a trade chip. Um, I, I think that they're, you know, they're going to have to make a decision on quickly. They certainly have enough pieces that they can afford to move them. Um, I think, you know, it, Joel Embiid seems seems pretty happy right now without James Harden. So I'm not sure that's the way they go. Uh, you know, if they go for a big man, Mitchell could be in a deal. Um, I, I, I think they have a, a lot of pieces that you can kind of configure in different ways. Um, all these graphics, I, I think, I think you're gonna if you're gonna make a move that's gonna be cap restrictive. I think it's going to come during the season uh, before that new CBA takes effect. And, and you know, it's it's sort of that patient move they've had. Well, now they're going to have to eventually pull the trigger here or decide this is how they're going to live, you know, and extend these guys, you know, beyond this for a long time to go. And I don't, I don't think that's the way they're planning on it. Um, I think there'll be probably a few games over 500, you know, two, three, maybe even more games over 500 around that, you know, it's the 24 game mark. I, they have a tough schedule, play some tough road games. As far as the trade stuff, um, you know, it's hard because they assuming they're playing well when trade season starts, we have yet to see this regime trade out a good player who is contributing to winning um, in season, you know, in, in a trade. It's always, you know, so, or at the very least, like if, if they're going to make a trade this season and they're, and they're playing well, you know they're only going to do it if it's an upgrade. So then, okay, well, what kind of an upgrade can you make? Um, I don't think you're going to bring up bring in another high-usage guy. And if you're talking upgrade, it's going to be a high-usage guy, right? Without sending out another, a high-usage guy because there's just there's one ball, right? And we're, we're already talking about it. Like Quentin Grimes already can't get enough shots. So... You're thinking, all right, is it a two for one? Because as Steve just said, like they have the pieces, you know, Fournier salary, whatever. And then it's like, okay, if, we'll, if you're bringing in another high usage guy, does that mean 
what does that mean? Is Emmanuel quickly going out to trade? I don't like that. I, I don't want to trade Emmanuel quickly this season. I know that. And I'm just wondering, like, how good would have ha- a player have to be to come along where the Knicks are like, all right, we feel good about trading quickly and maybe another one of our rotation pieces, plus maybe some draft capital, plus an Evan Fournier salary to bring in. Like, you're at that point, you're talking about a borderline all star player. Is that player going to become available before the trade deadline? I don't. I, I, I just, I don't know. Uh, so for as much as, look, they've made trades in three straight years that, that involve rotation players, I, I would probably take the under if it was like, you know, 0.5 meaningful trades between now and the deadline. Famous last words, but that, that's what I would say. Yeah, the yeah. one, the one, the one right. dilemma I think is that, is that quickly is worth more to almost anyone else than he is to the Knicks. Uh, and uh, look, I don't, I, I don't blame him for chasing the money, and he should. He's probably earned it, but with the Knicks, he's never going to be a starter. You know, Jalen Brunson plays 35 minutes a night. Um, it, it's a tough situation, and there are definitely places in the league he can go and be a starter and get starter minutes and get starter production and starter money. Um, but do the Knicks want to lock themselves into that with a guy who's going to be a sixth, seventh man for them? Speaking of trades, uh, Steve, I talked to the execs at Newsday. You are – untradeable you are totally off the table you're too good john you're your own gm so you're not trading yourself all good don't worry about that um we really appreciate both of you guys jumping out with us sharing your insights putting up with my nonsense thank you guys uh we hope to see you guys back soon but the putback will certainly be back i believe two weeks from now it'll be a thursday around noon And we'll be getting into everything Knicks and the NBA. We'll see you then.